The world of agriculture technology is vast and constantly evolving, with new innovations and companies emerging at a rapid pace. At AgTech Media Group, we understand the importance of staying updated and connected in this dynamic industry, and that's why we're thrilled to announce the launch of our new AgTech Company Directory, a comprehensive and user-friendly resource designed to help you navigate the complex landscape of AgTech innovators. More than just a list, it's a curated collection of companies leading the charge in transforming the AgTech sector from startups pioneering new farming methods to established companies adopting cutting-edge technologies. Our directory spans a wide range of leaders dedicated to advancing agriculture through technology. Whether you're a farmer looking for the latest in crop monitoring tools, an investor seeking promising ag tech startups, or a researcher interested in sustainable farming practices, ag tech directory is designed to cater to your specific needs. You can filter by sector, technology, size, or location to find exactly what you're looking for. To learn more and to claim your company listing, visit agtechcompanies.com. And stopping with those failures is what I've learned and saying, what have you learned? Every single failure, every single one of them has a learning lesson in there. And even the contracts, for example, that we didn't win, every single one has only helped us flourish the next level. Every single one of them has taught us to come up with something better. So yeah, I mean, my heart is still in it. My heart and my head are still in it. Welcome to the Vertical Farming Podcast, weekly conversations with fascinating CEOs, founders, and ag tech visionaries. Join us every week as we dive deep into the world of vertical farming with your host, Harry Duran. Vertical Farming Podcast Season 9 is alive and kicking. We are getting such great feedback from folks all across the CEA spectrum, regular listeners to the show. I appreciate you week in, week out tuning in, sharing the episode with people that uh, it resonates with, people that you find in your travels, new people finding the show and keep coming back. I appreciate each and every one of you sending you a huge, huge virtual hug. If this is your first time listening and today's guest enticed you to hit that play button, then I know you're in the right place because you're looking for conversations with fascinating CEOs and founders of the leading vertical farming companies from around the world. And lucky for you, you found your show. It's this one. <laughs> I'm your host, Harry Duran, podcasting since 2014 with my first show, Podcast Junkies, founder of Fullcast, our full-service, done-for-you podcast agency. In case you missed last week's episode, we had a great, informative conversation with Chris Rawley. He's the CEO of Harvest Returns. We talked about connecting cultures through food and travel, the challenges of financing and building trust in farming, the challenges and traits of specifically vertical farming projects, and the considerations for funding these future indoor farms. So for folks that are looking for help around understanding financing, investing in the space as well, I've subscribed to their newsletter and there's timely updates from that team as well. Very, very informative. I have a feeling you'll be taking a lot of notes uh, with that episode. Chris Raleigh, Harvest Returns, uh, episode 114. This week, I speak to Neda Vasegi. Neda and I connected at Indoor Ag Tech NYC. I always love that conference because it's single track and because it has a little pavilion for startups. And I always make it a point to see the companies that are there, have conversations with them. And Neta was one of uh, Neta's company was one of them. Microclimates. We talk about this amazing journey that she's been on from her early days in Iran through the trials of war and onto her ascension into the tech industry. And we talk about how her past experiences have shaped her entrepreneurial drive. 
We dive deep into the business behind microclimates and we shed light on this innovative startup specifically and how it's bridging the gap in CEA operations. Netta and her business partner, Lauren, share the insights into the company's offerings, shedding light on the surprising lack of interconnectedness across systems, which is something that is surprising to me the more I dig into how all these systems talk to each other inside these farms. She talks about her promising partnership with Lethbridge College, and they share their educational outreach efforts on LinkedIn and how that's working for their company. Later in the conversation, we tackle the critical issue of energy usage and conversation, and then we unraveled this importance of understanding energy consumption at a granular level and the pros of having a wireless energy management system, as well as the challenges faced by businesses without reliable internet. Fascinating discussion, especially around this topic of controls in these highly sensitive environments and how important it is. And I was glad to share Nita's story with you. If you are enjoying this episode or past episodes, nothing would please me more than if you would leave me a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP. I'm looking to read some out on the next episode. I'd love to give you a shout out. So please do that. And remember, these episodes are always chock full of great takeaways. And as a listener, I want you to focus all your energy on our conversation. Rest assured, you can always visit verticalfarmingpodcast.com to read the full show notes for each episode, which include all guest links as well. Sneak peek into next week's episode. We have a great conversation with Cody Jernell of Veg Inc. Okay, before we jump into this uninterrupted conversation with Netta, here are a few words from the amazing partners that support this show. And if you'd like information on how you can partner with Vertical Farming Podcast, as always, you can reach out harry at verticalfarmingpodcast.com. We've got some sponsorship slots available as we get ready for season 10. If you're considering container farming, then look no further than Farm Anywhere. Astute listeners will recognize the name from my conversation on episode 99 with Gabriel Zarafanitis. Farm Anywhere is renowned for their state-of-the-art container farms and complementary agricultural equipment, which guarantees a robust start to your indoor farming venture. Even better, Farm Anywhere is providing a discount exclusively to listeners of this show. A $5,000 reduction in delivery fees, no monthly subscription charges, and many other benefits. To take advantage of this special offer, visit farmanywhere.ag forward slash VFP. I've been excited about the work the team is doing at Farm Anywhere since my conversation with Gabriel, and this is a fantastic offer you should take advantage of if it's a fit for you. The link again, farmanywhere.ag forward slash VFP. This episode is brought to you by Horty Agri Next, November 20th to the 22nd. In this first edition of the conference, you can expect a vibrant show that'll bring together a portfolio of high-level horticulture technology to the Emirates, with the goal of aiding the Emirates to take the next step in becoming more self-sufficient in their food production, aligning with their 2051 goals. The show is expecting eight to 10,000 visitors over the three days and will include investors, buyers, curious farmers, government officials, university professors, and association members. Booths are still available and exhibitors are welcome. Partners for the conference include the Abu Dhabi Agriculture and Food Safety Authority, Dutch Greenhouse Delta, and Wageningen University, which will provide a wealth of knowledge and insight. Sessions will include a mix of Emirati and Dutch speakers and will highlight how these different worlds will come together in partnership. Based in Abu Dhabi, the agricultural hub of the UAE, the government's involvement will ensure that companies interested in partnering with the Emirates receive their full support. Co-located with VIV MEA 2023, the premier show in livestock production and animal husbandry, this week will provide a comprehensive look at the entire ag industry supply chain, both vertically and horizontally. So Neda Rasegi, CEO of Microclimates, thank you so much for joining me on the Vertical Farming Podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Harry. So regular listeners will know that I always like 
sharing the story of how we got connected and we met at Indoor Ag Tech NYC, which seems like such a long time ago, but it was was probably a month, now a month and a half ago, I guess it's been there. Tell us a little bit about how you arrived there. And obviously we've got a lot to cover in terms of like, you know, microclimates, but I'm, I'm curious how you found a conference and uh, what your experience was there. Yeah, definitely. I was introduced to the conference a couple of years ago and we actually hadn't attended in the past. And one of the conference leaders reached out to me and said, you know, we're interested in what you guys are doing in the space, especially as a startup. We have a number of startup podiums available. Would you guys be interested? So we kind of start diving into what the conference was about. And, you know, years ago, I had seen their nice, beautiful brochure that they have with all the different companies outlined on it. I remember thinking to myself, I really want to be in a part of that brochure. I really want our name to be there. So it was really exciting to attend and it was well worth it, well worth the event. How would you summarize the experience for someone who's, who hasn't been to Indirect Tech and Wesley? Yeah, I'd say in comparison to the other events that I attend, it's first of all, it's in New York. That was great. Yeah. It's always exciting, you know, during this very energetic city. And then there's a lot of really executive levels. The conversations were very meaningful. I always kind of gauge these events by quality versus quantity. And if you have freebies that you're giving away and they're still left at your table, then you know you're at a good show when you had quality conversations and it wasn't about, you know, swinging by to grab one of your free products, which we love giving to everyone out there. It's just that I think the conversations were very in-depth and meaningful. The folks who are on listening to us on audio can't see that I'm holding up the little... Oh, yeah. <laughs> microclimates laptop uh, cover, which I have yet, obviously, it's in my hands. I haven't put it on yet, but I just happen to see it here on my desk. And I'm like, oh, I still have that. That's right. Yeah. So it's the little privacy thing. And it's an interesting point because it is a higher ticket price point. And this is my second year attending. And I, I think there is something to be said for the caliber of folks that attend and rethink events, the, the organizers. They, From what I've seen with other events they do and the experience that I've had the past two years, it's really professional. It's really well. It's, they really keep things moving. I love the fact that it's a single track. So it's a different experience than indoor yes. icon. And they both have their advantages. I actually had to, a chat with Suzanne Pruitt from Indoor Icon. She was there as well. So it's always nice to see people from other conferences supporting each other, especially yes. in this industry. And she's I think, lady. yeah, yeah, she's great. We love working with her. And I really got a feel for that people were getting value, not only from the content, which is always a plus, but the conversation, as you were mentioning, you know, the fact that you had people come in and you had a whole row of your peers who were also in, in startup mode, being able to share their new innovations as well. So did you get to meet any of the folks who were alongside you in that space? We did. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. Actually, one of them is here local in Seattle. Oh, great. It was really nice. Yeah. I really loved how they shined a light on the startups because yeah. it is innovative, right? And oftentimes for startups, we have to, you know, we blend in, we do our best to blend in and we do our best to showcase ourselves as this very, very, you know, well-established company. And it can be challenging at times. And I'd have to say that the fact that they had this venue of startups People who were coming to us were coming to us intentionally, right? Because they were looking for that in a new innovation. They were looking for companies that are agile, that want to make quick decisions, that can work with them, think outside the box. So there was an intentional conversation, which I really appreciated. And 
talk to me a little bit about how you ended up <laughs> with, you know, prior to microclimates, I looked, I know I was looking at some of your CV on LinkedIn. And so you have a lot of experience in food and especially with your last company without going through your whole <laughs> CV. I'm just curious if you can give sort of like the 30 second recap of like the previous job you've held and sort of like leading their way up, up until, you know, that 2019 timeframe when you were starting microclimates. Absolutely. Quick recap would be, I started early on in food microbiology, and I just happened to be at the right place at the right time. I happened to be at University of Washington. It was shortly after the Jack in the Box outbreak that everyone probably knows about, the Audubella outbreak. It was very similar to this industry, actually, in the sense that it was new, up and coming. When we'd go to events, and there would be like 15 or 20 booths at the most, or tables, not even booths, but tables. And I got started in food microbiology and just fell in love with this concept of, oh my gosh, there could be pathogens in food that could make us sick. So I always had this passion for how I was trying to go into pre-med and decided early on that was too much school for me. Looking back on it, maybe I should have, but that was it. It was more about how can I help the community and public health perspective. So I fell into food safety and spent majority of my career in various roles. And the reason why I ended up here is because I sort of noticed this trend. I was doing a lot of traveling to California, Florida, and Texas, a lot of agriculture. And I noticed this trend of, oh my gosh, we're really faced with this issue of not having enough arable land. And there is this thing called indoor farming, which I didn't even know it was called CA at the time. And I had an opportunity to take a huge risk and leave the corporate world after 25 years and go on my own and give it a try. Prior to uh, microclimates, you were at Miro Nutrisciences, is that correct? Yeah, I was at Mario Nutrisciences. It's a French company, Mario, I think is how Mario. they say it. <laughs> Nutrisciences. They're a global company with laboratories at a global level, one of the best out there in the industry. And I managed a team for a while in sales, and then I ended up the career in mergers and acquisition, where I was responsible for supporting the acquisition of other companies out there. What were some of the takeaways when you look back in your career, or if you think of the things that prepared you for where you are now, what were some of, you know, is there a highlight or two that comes to mind? Yes. The business acumen, for sure. Having spent so much time on the sales end, especially because after I left the technical side, I got into sales. The business acumen and just, and just being able to read people, I think it teaches you a lot about interactions and face-to-face interactions, being able to read your audience. So I think that side of it has definitely prepared me for this role. And also taking no for an answer, you know, <laughs> you took no for an answer all the time when you're in sales. So you sort of begin to build, you know, thick skin. And when you come onto the startup side, I didn't realize how many folks would say no to our idea. So, but it helps you kind of build this thick skin. Where did that come from? Is it an inherited trait? (laughs) (laughs) Good question. I'd say, yeah, I was, I was born in Iran myself and I left Iran during 1985, during the Iran and Iraq war. Hence, I have a slight accent. So Yeah, it was, you know, we moved to the country. I was only 10 years old. I was learning to assimilate to to the country, to the culture, learn the language. So I think a lot of that really thick skin and sort of proceeding, moving forward, that determination. 
was built into my DNA at a very young age because I was only three years old when the revolution occurred. So I remember the war and what it was like to leave the country and how hard it was to leave the country and then come into a foreign country where you know nothing about the food, the culture, the language. I think that really has me in shaping the person into the person that I am today. Yeah, I could see how that would have a profound impact on you. What's interesting is, you know, people who are younger may not understand and know what a vibrant culture mm-hmm. Iran had. Mm-hmm. And, and, and there's pictures of like discotheques and like people really dressed up and really like enjoying like a vibrant cultural community and livelihood. And people mm-hmm. can't, don't and think of Iran that way. And I wonder if there's stories from like your, your parents or your family about what it was, that, what life was like back then. No, my gosh. No, first of all, thank you for, for acknowledging that because most people are not aware of what Iran used to be like. You're right. It was completely vibrant. I see pictures of my family and my parents, and I always give my mom a hard time about how short her little skirts used to be, like mini skirts in the 60s, right? Well, like super short. I'm like, you used to wear yeah. them in the street, mom. Not only that, but it's so rich in culture, right? Rich in history, mm-hmm. our food. So many languages spoken in Iran, and it's still a beautiful country, and the people are still amazing. It's just, unfortunately, it's a government situation that has impacted them. But yeah, I don't know. It's just beautiful. I still go back when I go back to Iran, and when I smell the food and the bakeries and the bread that's Mm. not, it just warms my heart. It's a rich country with lots, you know, thousands of years of history. Yeah. Probably more when you think about the birthplace of like civilizations and some of them. Exactly. <laughs> you go back to like, that's one of my favorite rabbit holes, ancient civilizations, because they just keep discovering like older and older stuff that like 4,000, 5,000, 6,000 years ago, yeah. like, you know, Quebec, Tepe and, and Turkey. And so that's one of my uh, sort of passions about exploring that. So I think, you know, hopefully that, you know, over time people will truly discover, you know, how important Iran's place in like the birth of like civilizations and cultures and languages really is. Absolutely. I think it's most people don't realize we share a lot of words of French. We have a lot of similarities. I have great fond memories of being a kid in Iran and going to Shamal, which is north of Tehran. And it's just tropical and beautiful. And then you can go skiing. And I mean, there's just so much you can do. And you don't realize that Iran is not a desert, but it's got multiple climates. And yeah, so it's beautiful. And we have really rich soil, actually, for pistachios and dates and you know you have some really great soil for a lot of different food sources out there yeah really interesting so i I invite the listener to do a little more research and learn a little bit about the culture because i think they'll be pleasantly surprised so (laughs) in your time at miro the jump to entrepreneurship is never an easy one and as someone who's owned my own business since 2015 i can tell you it comes with a lot of ups and downs for anyone who's tried to go down that path and a lot of people don't make it so you know, it's clear you had the drive and it's clear you had the the education and, and the passion and now the understanding of what this industry was looking like, but it's never an easy decision. And so can you talk a little bit about the origin story of uh, microclimates and how you got that off the ground? Yeah, definitely. I'd say about two years before I actually left, I'd been toying with this idea of what can I do on my own? How can I go on my own? And I toyed around with multiple things to do, but never settled on anything. My current business partner, Lauren West, we've been friends for many, many years. His wife was actually my doula. We have, you know, our family friends. We're very tight. 
we were actually at a party and I asked him, I said, hey, what happened to that company you were starting? What'd you do with it, Lauren? And he said, well, you know, he's probably one of the smartest people that I know. He's like, well, I've been building this stuff and I want to do stuff with indoor farming. And well, where is it? Are you selling anything? He said, well, no, we haven't commercialized it. And we got talking and long story short, the conversation led to what are you thinking, Netta? How are you doing with your job? You know, we never talked about our jobs. We just, we've always had this beautiful friendship, mm-hmm. relationship, but we never actually talked about what, I knew what he did for a living and he knew what I did, but we never talked about intersecting the two. And the conversation, one thing led to another. And the next thing, you know, we said, hey, let's get together and talk about this. In a month or two, we got back together. And he said, are you serious? Are you really thinking about this? Like, how do you... And he's had a startup in the past. He said, do you know what this is going to take? And uh, we had lots of conversations. And we actually got together one night and signed a, what we call a friendship agreement, which meant that our friendship always comes before this business. And if we ever got to a point where things became agile in any way, we'd go get therapy and counseling so that we could work through that. And this friendship was not going to be impacted. And that here we are, and we work through our ups and downs and, you know, knock on wood, we have a great relationship and work really well together. We're we're the yin and the yang. We're really great together. (laughs) That's an amazing story. And the fact that you were cognizant enough to create that friendship agreement and then understand that that relationship that you, you've built up with him. Is something that's more important than anything you would do after and you wouldn't want to do anything to damage that. And so I don't think a lot of people who go into business think like that or don't value the relationship or don't understand what can happen in business because anything is possible. I had a previous conversation with someone today who's having some challenges with someone they tried to partner with. And it's really, you know, you just never know. And I think putting that friendship first and foremost is so important. I think it's a really great thing that you guys did. And I'm glad that you, that you shared that. I'm curious how you two met. Yeah. <laughs> There's a good story there too. We actually, I know his wife from many years in the community. So I personally started going Burning Man myself. If you're familiar with Burning Man, which everyone is nowadays because everyone's- I went in the 2014. I've been once with my next yeah. 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 Oh my gosh, we were there the same year. <laughs> Away. <laughs> That's funny to think about with knowing what happens and how crazy oh, and right. it's a wild, you need a lot of prep, especially if you haven't been there the first time. We read, we bought a van for specifically for that. It was a wild, really fun experience. And I, I definitely recommend anyone who's got the tolerance for being pushed out of their comfort zone <laughs> to give it a try. So good. Did you camp with a New York camp? We camped with a, no, it's actually a San Francisco camp. Like it's a cosmic giggle. Okay. Yeah. And they've been going for at that time, 10 years. And so they've got really good placement. So they were like on the inner ring, about yes. like one or two streets away from the center of from the playa. And so, you know, it was just amazing, amazing experience and nothing can prepare you for what you can experience yeah. out there. And you literally have to show up with everything the only thing that they'll sell you there is coffee and ice and literally everything else you have to bring in and take out which is you leave it i think it's leave it as you found it exactly in this pristine position we were not i don't want to take away from your experience oh, there, but I we had a like, as we were leaving you know we have to the campsite owner they're like had to leave before us and they're like you literally have to walk in a grid over every inch of this and pick up like a feather if you see like a anything like 
that you can spot with your eye that's not native to the desert. You have to you know, bag it up and take it with you. So very unique experience, but I'm interested to hear what, what yours is like. Yeah, what they call it the radical self-reliance, right? And you're right, it, the MOOP, which is you don't leave anything behind. There's not even a glitter. And you get, actually get scored of how well you leave your camp. Yeah. For a lot of camps, especially, it's very important because that's going to dictate, are you going to have that great placement again next year? Because if you score low, that means that you were not good to Mother Nature and you left garbage behind. And we literally go through inch by inch of the camp and making sure there's not even a bindi or a glitter <laughs> left behind in the dust. Yeah, so... Lauren and I, I had known his wife for many years because I actually started going to Burning Man. I think my first year was 2001. So I was very young when it was only like wow. 20,000 people would go back. I don't even know what it is now, but it was fairly small to compare what it is now. And so I was in my, you know, late 20s the first time that I went. And, and I had seen his wife all the time at parties. She's a great dancer. I love to dance. I can pretty much stay on dance all night long and I'd see her and her and I would always be like you know closing down the DJ and which I know that you are and I love your music by the way yeah thank you <laughs> yeah we managed to, to share that love of electronic music that's one of my first passions DJing yes I've, I've had some good times of listening to your bot podcast and to your DJ actually why I've been biking which is my okay yeah, <laughs> the, 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 SoundCloud, the SoundCloud page yeah it's great <laughs> Anyway, so Robin and I, his wife and I had known each other for many years. And here we are at Burning Man. And I don't remember what year this is. Oh, it was a while ago. And I talked to Robin. I didn't even know she had a husband because I would see her dancing by herself. And all of a sudden, this man comes up to me and I'm putting on a pair of like white platform boots. And he says to me, hey, did you get that on Value Village? He knew I was in from Seattle up north. And I'm thinking this is the most awkward conversation ever. <laughs> Valley Village, for those of you who don't know, is a secondhand store. And if you're a burner, that's where you shop because you don't want your coast to get destroyed. Yeah. And I said, in a, as a matter of fact, I did. I purchased those. Why would you know this? He goes, I almost bought this for Robin, but they were half size too small. I said, Robin West? Yes. How are you guys related? He said, she's my wife. So... From that on, Robin and I had known each other, but we hadn't actually like, hang outside of, you know, parties together. So next thing you know, we camped together that year. We hit it off and this like love affair just started. And I fell in love with Robin, his wife. She became one of my best friends. And then when I got married, you know, we quickly introduced Robin and Lauren to my husband, Kyle. And the next thing you know, we're, now I see the grandchildren. So it's a really sweet relationship. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's really nice. Thank you for sharing yeah. that. It's such a fun story. And yeah. to have that history and, and that friendship there, I could see why, you know, you want to make sure that, you know, you've developed that relationship and that friendship and there's nothing you'd want to do to damage that. So it makes yeah. sense that you would put in that agreement. So, you know, how did you come up with the concept originally? And is it the same when you started the company to what it is now, the, the offering? Yeah. The concept initially was mostly for the cannabis market because the cannabis market in Washington state is, you know, was one of the first states to go live. And he started back then by Lauren and his son. But initially it was more of a hardware that we're building out some hardware with some software. But once I came on board, which was the end of 2019, November 8th, 2019 was my last day in the corporate world. 
we, you know, pandemic 2020, we quickly decided that, you know, we needed to kind of shift a little bit. And the reason why for the major shift is because we actually launched one facility that I brought on board when I came on board and the hardware that he had been making just didn't do well in, in an operation, you know, where people are walking by, they're knocking the wires out of the way and it's just, you know, they weren't plugging it back in. And 2020 pandemic occurred. Next thing you know, we said, you know what, we got to pivot and we completely pivoted and focused on his core competency, which is software development versus any of the hardware. And we started to identify hardware companies that we could partner with. So it's been a big shift and we've pivoted a couple of times, but for all the good reasons. And for folks that are not familiar with microclimates, what is their current offering and who is an ideal customer? Yeah, the current offering right now is environmental automation. So a technology company, we provide environmental automation. And I'd say what's unique in our secret sauce is that we're more focused on integrated controls, meaning that we integrate various systems together onto one dashboard and all the data is harmonized across all of them. So the customer, you know, hardware agnostic. And yeah, our ideal customer is... Ideal customer is really someone that's starting out, but if it's easier to work with the customers that, that are just starting out, right? Because we can point them to our hardware partners that are ready to go. So as a plug and play solution, we have all the solutions. At the same time, we have a lot of customers who already have systems in place and they've had them for five to 10 years. And what they're realizing, you know what, I have to have another dashboard or I can't get these systems to speak to one another. Can a company come in and integrate all the systems together so that they can speak to one another? Then we can provide that solution as well. So they're both great customers to have. I just think that the first one, which is someone that's starting out, is easier on our end and it's a quicker sell. So when you talk about the pain points that farms are facing, we talked a little bit about this when we were indoor ag tech and YC and you know, the multiple systems that people sometimes Frankenstein together from different countries with different, you know, connectors. And I think the more and more I learn about the industry, it's interesting how, you know, resourceful farmers are when they want certain pieces of equipment in their farm and, and they figure out ways to work them together. And, and I think, you know, for people that are outside the industry, they may think that it's all just everything's plug and play and everything works seamlessly together. And that's not the case. And were you surprised by that, Another when, when you first started discovering, you know, and learning more um, about these farms? I was actually, yeah, I was. Lauren, because of his technology background, so, you know, you're bringing somebody like myself who's got a science background with somebody who has a very solid technology background, right? So for me, because I didn't have that technology background, I was really surprised. I didn't realize that, you know, all these companies make one thing and they do one thing really well, but either they don't have an open system, they don't have an API, you can't connect systems to talk to one another. I was actually really surprised at how silo everything is. In, in an operation. Yeah. And I had seen that actually in my role, but it was from the more of the business side where you had like a CRM system that maybe didn't talk to another system. I'd seen that to some degree, but I didn't realize how painful that is for an operator in the CA world. So now that you've been having conversations with clients and you've actually got systems running in forms, What's been the reaction to people who have worked with you? And when you think about the pain point they had before, you know, what was it about microclimates that made them decide that they wanted to work with you? And then what's been their experience? If there's a couple of uh, clients that you're working with that come to mind who've got a good story to tell. Yeah, definitely. There's actually probably by the time you 
fix this podcast up and it's launched, you're probably going to see a white paper that's going to be released. And it's our relationship with Lethbridge College in Canada. Lethbridge College is one of the largest Canada colleges in Canada and they have a greenhouse operation. And their experience was that they were using a different system previously, a system that, you know, I won't name the company, but another great company out there with many, many, many years in the industry, a very robust company, but, you know, they felt like they couldn't customize their, their system. They couldn't integrate their system. They couldn't purchase, for example, sensors from company A to pull into the system so that they could sort of be cutting edge at all times and come, you know, adding new sensors and new automations to their operation. So their experience and Dr. Nick Sabadov is, is going to be quoted in this white paper that's going to be released here soon, really talks about his experience, sort of his limitations previously and how this system has really opened up the possibilities of always thinking ahead and bringing in new systems to integrate into the system. So we're right now in the process for him specifically of working with him on DLI, something he really wants to do. He really wants his lighting to go to a new level and, and, and be based on DLI. So we're working with him on that, working with Cornell University for their LASI, which is their algorithm for this whole DLI idea for lighting, smart lighting, essentially. So it's fun to, to talk to customers who've had experiences in the past, and then they try it out and they say, I really like how nimble and how agile you guys are. And I like the fact that I can integrate this whole system together. For the benefit of the listener, if they're not familiar with DLI, can you define that? Yeah, it's daily light integral. Basically, it's the amount of light that your plants need. It's a way, best way to look at it is you can really become energy efficient also in the sense that your plants need so much light, you don't necessarily have to give them during the peak hours and you can turn your lights off and then turn your lights on during off-peak hours for energy consumption and also making sure that your plants and your output or your crop and the yield is where you want it to be. I've also noticed that you've been making more of an effort to be more present on LinkedIn with your videos. <laughs> <laughs> nice job with those. Thank so you. I think what's, and I've seen from some of the feedback that people are finding it helpful. Do you feel because of the nature of some of the, the tech involved and some of the integration challenges that farmers face, that education is helpful? And do you feel like it's educating people who are watching or, or, or listening or reading on things they may not have been aware of or challenges they, you know, they may realize they're, they're going to face as they start to integrate these systems together. Yeah. So this idea of being on social media, which was new for me for the record, I have a very dear friend of mine who had a very successful exit strategy. I also went to Burning Man with him. <laughs> <laughs> it's, all, it's all being tied together. Yeah. God, yeah, I also can't with them. I was talking to him actually a couple of months ago. He's one of my mentors and he's much younger than I am. But I reached out to him and I said, hey, Andy, he was at Adobe after the acquisition of his company and he's back to startup again. I said, help me out. And how do I do this? How do we get the microclimate's name out there? And he really advised me and he said, you know what, microclimate doesn't necessarily have a name in the industry because you're still new, but your face and your knowledge is going to be well well served in the industry. So make sure that you start this thought leadership and talk about topics that are important for the industry. So back to your question, has it been well received and helpful? Yes, it's been so fun posting and getting emails and chats and text messages saying, thank you for that. That really helped. And then for me to say, what else do you want to talk about? Because 
I am not the expert, but I sure know who to go to. I can go to my business partner when it comes to technology. I can go to my old contacts for food safety. So, it, and it's been fun because I'm hoping that at least that's some positive feedback so far is that it's really bringing quick and dirty under two minutes, some knowledge to the industry, to people to think about as they're talking about either food safety or environmental automation. Do you find that you're getting better at it? Are you getting more comfortable doing these? I am getting more comfortable. They're still uncomfortable. They're, they are still uncomfortable. But I feel like I'm getting better at just quickly, you know, picking a topic and talking about the topic and not, I'm finding that the less I think about it, the better they turn out. When I get in my head, then I become too technical, which is where my yeah. level is, right? I like to be technical and I have to just step back and say, what does the audience need to hear? It's not about a technical aspect. It's what does it mean to their operation? And you do these in one take? I can try. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's interesting because... Well, and it's not, it's never one take. They, I try my best. They're usually, so far, they've been about like six or seven of them. And then, but I don't write a script either. I started to in the beginning and I found that it was just, I couldn't read a script and that reduced my train of thought. So I usually just write down like four or five bullet points and just start talking. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it's always a good thing. I took some public speaking classes as well in training. So it's been very helpful because it's one of those things that's similar, you know, when you're, whether you're on camera, whether you're on stage, you know, there's something that happens to you. And I think it's not a natural human inclination to be in front of people talking. It doesn't come, maybe for some people it does come naturally, you know, people who like to perform. But for, I think for most people, I remember like, even with the training, I gave a talk one time and it, and then by the time I was done, it almost felt like I had a ball of cotton in my mouth. <laughs> but that was so dry. I was so nervous. Yeah. I remember like I was sweating and I've gotten better over the years, but it's something you need to work on and something you need oh to kind of train. So bad. I have a story about this one minute pitch that I tried to do early on in the startup and I practiced and they only give you exactly 59 seconds. I practiced it. I practiced that so many times, Harry. And when I got on stage, it was the worst thing. It was the worst experience ever to the point that my girlfriend, who's my best friend, texts me afterwards and she goes, oh, I'm so sorry about that. <laughs> That's not a good reaction. It was like an out-of-body experience. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, how did this happen? I can't even articulate my words. What just happened to my brain and my physical being just lost? <laughs> yeah, that's weird what happens. Yeah. Is this your first time in the CEO role? It is. Yeah. We give ourselves titles. You know, when you're a smart company, you can call yourself anything. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I am in the first time in a CEO role, but I have to tell you, I say this to my business partner. If we ever got bought out, if we ever had an investor that came in and said, hey, I think that I could, you know, help accelerate your business by having sure. a new CEO, no problem. Step right away. <laughs> I'm so curious when folks are in the first time leadership role, and there's a lot of things that you hope you have uh, good guidance from and a good team from, and you've mentioned a couple of times and referenced some mentors. So as you think about your development over the years, and it, especially with this new role, are, are there people who have been helpful for you in a, in a mentorship role? Oh my gosh. Yes, yes, yes. So one of my mentors is Dr. Mansur Samadpour, who is an owner of a food safety laboratory here in Washington State. And I've known him. I mean, I worked in his laboratory when I was in my, you know, I think I was like 19 years old when I worked in his lab, but 
we were working with, uh, I believe it was, I'm pretty sure it was a jack-in-the-box samples back then, stool samples from children who had been sick. He has been a great mentor to me. And then, it, you know, from my days of m and I have great mentors in m and rule that have helped me out. And then there's been some beautiful, amazing people in this industry who just getting to know them have stepped up and said, how can I help you? Like Randy Shipley. There's been multiple who just step up and they're like, what do you need help with? And they've become my advisors, which is really, really amazing. It feels, it's a beautiful thing. That's great to hear. So as you think about the future for microclimates and you think about, you know, maybe a roadmap and where you're seeing development of your offering opportunities Mm -hmm. for possible partnership or, you know, features, what comes to mind, you know, when you think about, you know, obviously in this industry, years a lot, so maybe just even six months, you know, what's top of mind for you that you can talk about? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're right. This is the industry which I love because it's moving so fast. And again, it reminds me of food safety, you know, 20 something, 30 years ago. So it's the same concept here. The big focus that we have right now is regarding energy usage. We have noticed, and you know, it's you hear of a lot of companies that are either filing for Chapter 11 or going out of business. And then you get talking to some of those folks and you understand that ultimately energy, especially for CEA, your two highest sources of energy use is your lighting and your HVAC systems. But really understanding energy on a granular level is really, really important. So we're making a huge push right now on the energy aspect of having an energy application with wireless devices that would actually sort of be behind the panel. So you can really understand the granular level, how much energy is even your equipment using or how much energy is your light using versus your HVAC. And then how do you adjust that so that you can become more focus on your resources, reducing those resources. Energy and water are big ones for us right now with wireless. What's interesting is that when you think about what I saw when I was there at uh, Indirect Tech NYC, and the fact that you had this sort of panel and sort of like a dashboard, you know, kind of like your cockpit of what's happening. And it's important because you think about it, like these are the metrics that I need to know, like what, you know, how these different systems are performing. But I think this aspect of their energy consumption because of where we are in this industry, where we are in this timeline of like using so much and it being a top concern from an expense perspective, I think adding that component and then the fact that you need that mobility because you're in a form and adding the Wi-Fi, I think is an interesting combination. So do you find as you talk about these features and this capabilities that farmers are getting excited to learn more? Yeah, definitely. Uh, The energy one was definitely, I mean, the more farmers we're speaking to right now, we're we're waiting to hear back. We're we're working with another company. And if the grant goes through, we might be able to to provide this energy monitoring to the more, as I call them, you know, under-resourced or under, I don't want to call them privileged, but under-resourced communities. We're going to help them out first. But um, yeah, definitely. There's an excitement that's being built around the ability to be able to measure your energy usage and then wrap that information so that you can actually automate your operation based on the energy as well. And then the wireless, for sure, that's another exciting project. Well, it's it's a project that we started working on last year, but it's an ongoing project, which is how do you incorporate LoRaWAN sensors, which is long range wireless sensors that can communicate, you know, the size of football fields without interruption. 
how do you incorporate that into this so that all of a sudden your sensors can be wireless, your controls can be wireless without interruption? That makes a lot of sense. You did mention uh, under-resourced regions. Can you talk a little bit about the work you're there, you're doing there, and why that's important to you? Yeah, yeah, definitely. There are rural America. There are lots of regions in this country alone that, believe it or not, and I used to travel to these areas when I was in food safety. Like, for example, you go to Lost Hills, California, where Palm Wonderful, you know, the big wonderful pistachios have their facility, and while you're driving there's no reception. And mm-hmm. in some of those areas, even clean water, believe it or not, drinking potable water is an issue. Like we don't realize that when, when we live in these you know, cities, we don't realize yeah. how much of our country is under-resourced. So our focus right now, and even not just the US, but even at a global level, because we have some projects potentially in Indonesia, at a global level, even you look at areas where they don't have, you know, we're used to just picking up our phone anytime, right? We have wireless connection everywhere. We have access to everything. But there are lots of parts in this in this country alone who don't have that. So our focus is partnering with different companies like Trilogy Network and a company called Via as well, these two companies that bring on the infrastructure and the foundation of that so that we can help. They bring on the more digital transformation aspect of it. And then if there's farms in those regions, whether it's indoor or outdoor, because we're beginning to explore also outdoor agriculture, then we come in and build our applic- have our application sit on top of all that. So these rural America also then has the same access to digital transformation that maybe folks in major you know, urban cities have access to. Is it surprising for you when you think about all the different places you have to have your hands in when it comes to this, what you're offering, because you talk about, initially you think about it from a monitoring perspective and the fact that you're tracking what's happening there, but that's dependent on the signal that you get and then the ability to connect with different systems. And then if they're in far-flung locations, you know, wired is not an option. And then you have to look at wireless technologies. And now you have to start, you mentioned a couple of providers there and how to understand like the different nature of what happens. And this is top of mind for me because we just had our internet upgraded here. And now I think the latest trend is to do repeaters or just extenders, what they're called in different yeah. places. And so now it's the same Wi-Fi signal, which I thought was interesting, but it's working off three different repeaters. So it's fascinating what's happening in this space. And you know, there's probably a 5G rabbit hole for people who want to who are worried about that, but we can <laughs> focus yeah. on some of the benefits that are happening for now. But you know, do you find that like you're having to educate yourself almost on a daily basis with what's happening in the various industries, not just this one? All the time, Harry. All the time. I did not you know, it's been one of those aha moments where you go from food safety to technology and you realize, okay, I mean, technology, I got to learn the technology, you know, verbiage and you kind of get used to that and you realize, okay, so everyone needs to have internet connection for our system to run. Oh, okay, great. Everyone needs to have internet connection. Then you realize, wait a minute, not everyone has internet connection. And if they do, it's interrupted all the time. It drops all the time. One thing though about us is that our system is what we refer to as edge computing, our system actually sits on premise. So even if you lose your internet connection, the system will continue running, right? But at the same time, you need to have solid internet connection for you to be able to access the system either way. So it's been a real eye-opener. And every, as an entrepreneur or a startup, every second of the day is something different, something new. So it's also very exciting because I have to continuously learn. Like 
nonstop. I think I'm learning probably at a faster rate than my eight-year-old daughter is right now. That's <laughs> so funny. Yeah. What's a tough question you've had to ask yourself recently? Yeah. Tough question I've had to ask myself recently comes down to following my heart or finances, right? My heart is in this. I love what we're doing. I love what we built. And I think every startup founder, co-founder would say, my baby is the prettiest thing ever, right? We have to all, we always get excited about what we're doing. Then there is the other side, which is I left a very lucrative position that I had worked really, really, really hard to make my, you know, work my way to those positions. I mean, I had to really work hard for those as a woman, especially had to work really hard. So, you know, and I left a very lucrative role. I was making a lot of money. So that's been the tough question for me recently is, oh my gosh, do I keep chasing that? Because I could go back, I could make a lot of money. Or do I follow my heart and do what I'm doing with this? Cross my fingers that we'll either get funded or we'll grow on our own and we'll be in a position where I can say, all right, I'm now financially comfortable. So it, it, cause it's, you know, it takes a lot to leave that world. And we had a lot of discussions with my husband about what is this going to look like living on one income for a short period? Yeah. Those are not easy questions. And as someone who's been an entrepreneur since 2015, it's, Sometimes feels like you're having those more frequently than not, you know, and then you feel like you need to get to that point where things are starting to like turn around. And, and obviously in an industry that's ex as exciting as this one, you know, there are a lot of ups and downs and probably a lot of false starts as well. So I think, you know, I encourage you to, you know, to stick it out to the point it still feels like a passion for you and it's something that you believe in. And I think you're onto something here and, and I think it's something that's applicable for anyone, any size farm, greenhouses, not just vertical farms. And, and so there's you know, applications and benefits. And I think you're on the right path and you're making the right partnerships. And so you know, to you. the extent that you it's still comfortable for you, I would encourage you to continue on the path because it's one of the reasons why I started the podcast because I saw what was happening in the industry. And I was like, this is exciting. And I want to learn along the way and learn at the same time my listeners are, are learning. And it's not easy. I mean, I, I and for anyone who's, who's sort of down the path of entrepreneurship, you know, there's been a <laughs> Lots of ups and downs, and you have to be comfortable with failure. This is the other thing, you know. Yes. And, and failure is not a bad thing. It's failure. I used to think like, oh, I, I spent thousands of dollars on this project, and I was like, oh, it didn't work, and I would feel disappointed and dejected. Just, but over the years, you come to realize it's more important to take imperfect action, you know, and be. And a failure is just another opportunity to just get up, dust yourself. You have to just get up faster. That's what happens. You just yeah. dust yourself faster, and you're like, okay, that didn't work. Let's go. Let's go. Like we got to try something else because it's. And it takes yeah. a while to develop the entrepreneurial muscle. Totally. And stopping with those failures is what I've learned and saying, what have you learned? Every single failure, every single one of them has a learning lesson in there. And even the contracts, for example, that we didn't win, every single one has only helped us flourish the next level. Like Every single one of them has taught us to come up with something better. So yeah, I mean, my heart is still in it. My heart and my head are still in it. Sometimes my pocket questions it, but I've learned, <laughs> but I've definitely learned, you know, I've lived a very simple life in Iran. Moving here, we didn't have much money at all. And I paid for all of my own college and my graduate. I paid for everything. So I know how to pull back. It's just sometimes you're like, do I want to pull back at this age? <laughs> yeah, that's definitely challenge. Yeah. Well, as we wrap up, I've been leaving some space at the end of these conversations for any messages that you have 
for your peers in this industry. You know, obviously, as you attend these conferences and as you start to meet some of your your fellow business owners and entrepreneurs who are, you know, we're all working towards the same path and we're still in this space of really, there's really not a lot of competition space, even though there's companies that do the same thing, but there's a need, there's a demand for what everyone is working on. So, you know, is there anything that comes to mind for you in terms of like a message that you have for folks in this industry that may be listening? I keep going back to what I was comfortable with, which is food safety, right? And I just think that we can't give up. I think we're at a point right now where we've seen a number of companies close down. Like I mentioned earlier, files for chapter 11, whatever the situation has been, and it can be defeating at times, right? So I think my message would be like, now is the time to be nimble and quick and to think about our resources and how do we shift our business so we're profitable, maybe rethinking about, you know, spending millions of dollars on the upfront capital, but just slowing down, you know, and I always refer to as the crawl, walk, run approach. I think too many of us have been focused on building the next greatest vertical farm that can showcase the best or building the best technology that can do X, Y, and Z, and it can be all AI related. And I would just, my message would be, yes, those are all beautiful and exciting. And that's where we all want to go. But I just say, you know, crawl, walk, run, let's build this out because our future population needs this. I mean, it's, we don't have enough arable land. We're going to be in, food security is going to be an issue. And we all need to just kind of slow down and build this together so that we're profitable, we're staying in business, and we're making a difference and following our heart. Because I think most of us are in it because our heart are completely you know, in it and we can't get there like before running right off the bat. We got to slow down. That would be my big message is it's just be nimble and quick and slow down and think about your resources before you start building things out. There was a lot of good conversations in indoor ag tech around that as well. <laughs> well, I think that's a very important message. And I think if that the tone of that and, and the intent behind that message was repeated on every single episode, I think it would still be a good thing because I think people still need to hear it because you hear a lot of people getting in over their heads with, you know, making plans for, you know, crops that are not being asked for, you know, just because they're sexy or, and just and then realizing that maybe that wasn't a model or not realizing that their expertise is in being a tech company without any expertise in farming. And, you know, we've seen ex- examples of a lot of people and thankfully some folks have pivoted and have been able to kind of turn the ship around. But I think those words are going to resound strongly yep. for this audience. So. I appreciate you making time to come on. I always value it when uh, guests spend an hour of their precious time on this show. So for folks to learn more, we'll send them to microclimates.com. Is there anywhere else you want to send folks to, to stay connected with you? First of all, thank you, by the way. Thank you for having me. So I really appreciate being on here and it's fun chatting with you. Microclimates.com is probably the best. And then our LinkedIn profiles are, are great places. We spend a lot of time mostly on LinkedIn. We're starting to work a little bit on Instagram, but I'm finding that LinkedIn seems to be the place where there's a lot more interaction with like-minded people. So, well, Thanks again for your time. I really appreciate yeah. our chat today. Great. It was great seeing you again. Thank you. Thanks again for listening. As always, eternally grateful to my guests for spending that precious hour of time with me and sharing their story. As always, full show notes available at verticalfarmingpodcast.com. There you'll find summaries, key takeaways, and resources mentioned, and also a back catalog of all our past episodes.
Special thanks to our title sponsor, AgTech Marketing Team. If you or your team have been struggling to come up with a comprehensive social media marketing plan and don't know where to begin, reach out to them today. With expertise in strategy, paid media, community management, content generation, influencer, and email marketing, their team can have you up and running in a fraction of the time it would take you to hire a full team and at a fraction of the cost. Learn more at agtechmarketingteam.com. Podcast production and marketing provided by Fullcast. To learn about the five key pillars of a successful podcast that every business owner needs to know prior to launching, visit fullcast.co and watch the free video. As a reminder, if you've enjoyed this episode or past episodes, do me a favor, leave me a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP. Nothing makes me happier than to read those out on future episodes. And don't forget to tune in next week for a conversation with yet another fascinating leader from the world of vertical farming. Until we meet again, here's to your health. Thanks for listening. To read the full show notes for this episode, which includes any links mentioned in the episode, as well as a full show transcription, visit verticalfarmingpodcast.com. There, you can sign up for our email list to be notified when new episodes are published.